I just like have this pin drop moment of like, oh my God, that was really enjoyable and really educational and I know exactly what I need to do now. Welcome to the Rethink Now podcast. Are you carbon literate? You seek to understand climate change then? Well, you probably should be. The Carbon Literacy Project has helped over 17,000 people become carbon literate, and that includes myself. Carbon literacy is the knowledge and capacity required to create a positive shift in how mankind lives, works, and behaves in response to climate change. In this episode, I was joined by Louise Harling at the Carbon Literacy Project to discuss the ins and outs of carbon literacy and how their approach to tackling climate change is having an impact. Enjoy the show. Louise, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Good, good. It's nice to be chatting to someone, definitely, <laughs> during these yeah. times. Um, is, this your, is this the first time you've done a podcast for the Carbon Literacy Project? Or it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. We had, I've had recently actually another request from someone else wanting to do a podcast with us because I think the podcasting community has definitely increased during lockdown. I yeah. mean, I have a good podcast in the kitchen when I'm cooking, which is my favourite time. I think everyone's up in their podcast game, definitely. Definitely. Well, we're all desperately trying to find things to do, aren't we? Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really interested to talk to you, uh, partly because I've been on a carbon literacy project course about a year ago and loved it. It was amazing. And then since then, as, as Rethink Now, we've we've been delivering a kind of tailored version um, to community groups across the world where I live, uh, which has been really fascinating and quite empowering and uplifting, actually, because it's really cool to see people starting to really understand the the kind of, yeah, partly the, the like the huge task that we all face, but also the fact that it's uh, a better world awaits us all as well on the other side if, if we can get there. So um, before we come on to kind of your role within Carbon Literacy Project and you're a project officer, um, I, I was hoping we could talk a, bit, a little bit about um, where, where it started. Because um, I, wa- I watched the YouTube video earlier today, actually, where one of the founders um, discussed it. So I'll link to that. But yeah, what's, what's the history for the CLP? So the project first started in 2011. Um, both of our co-founders, who still are very active in, in running the project, and we're all very close in the office and all know each other really well. And so you've got Dave Coleman and Phil Corbell, um, and they kind of, yeah, started the project as the two of them, and slowly and slowly it's grown and grown. Um, so we're mainly based in Greater Manchester now that everyone's working online there's kind of a few of us dotted a bit further afield um but we mainly have a role yeah in manchester which is where kind of i found and came across the project mm-hmm. um so it's a community fund project it's um a non-for-profit organization always has been um so we get funding from different organizations and some in some of the ways that we run things um but yeah that's kind of the basis behind it we talked before we came on, I think you said you might have reached or you have reached about 16,000 people. Is that right so far? Yeah, yeah. So since 2011, 16,000 learners, um, which is amazing, um, especially now doing things online as well. That reach has increased and it always amazes me when we see the figures of you know how many people were doing training in the first few years that it was happening and just how it keeps growing. And it still shocks me every time I see that graph on our you know monthly or six monthly team meetings when we when we do the update on it I'm always like that's insane it's still growing there's still so many more people accessing this and you know it's 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 great and like you said like you did the training and you really loved it and I think 
so many other people feel that way about it after the training and I just like have this pin drop moment of like oh my god that was really enjoyable and really educational and I know exactly what I need to do now and you know it's it's accessible to, to so many people and it makes sense to so many people it's not this like climate jargon stuff which nobody understands it's you know it's made for people by people like it's yeah. it makes a lot of sense to everyone so you know that's kind of where it stems from really yeah it's cool so yeah i did it in um uh in manchester yeah about a year ago but it wasn't the carbon literacy project that delivered the course um I, i've got to give a shout out to sarah from great places housing group who delivered it so what's the structure in terms of how how the courses get delivered you design them and then you farm out to, to people to uh, to spread the word is that right yeah so we kind of do some course writing um but we tend to like organizations to do in their own course course writing um because carbon literacy training should be personal to you as an individual it's all well and good us writing the content um but actually it needs to make sense to you on the ground depending on who it's being delivered to so you know, if there's um, a restaurant who wants carbon literacy training, that's going to be completely different to, say, a hairdresser who wants carbon literacy training. Those are random examples that I've pulled out of thin air. We don't often deliver to hairdressers or restaurants, but, you know, it's going to differ massively on, on who you are. Um, so organisations often write the materials, they bring them to us, we kind of support them in the writing of it and might help them with some of kind of the climate science based stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's good to get them to write stuff. Also, you know, we have a limited capacity on how much time we've all got. And actually if we were writing all the courses would be very limited as to how many people can access a course. Um, so we kind of then check it against our standard, make sure that we're happy for it, make sure it's got all the kind of bits and bobs that we like a carbon literacy course to have and that it needs to have in it for it to be called a carbon literacy course. Um, then they go away they deliver it themselves um so you know this training is designed to be delivered by anyone it doesn't take an expert to deliver it um mm. they deliver it themselves and we kind of act as like the facilitating body so once you've done your full day's worth of climate education training you'll be asked to make two action pledges a personal personal action pledge and a group action pledge um, and your trainer will record those and then send them back to us at the project we then have a little look through them make sure that that learner has fully understood the training and has grasped the training um, which you know most of the time we're like yeah really happy with those they're really significant actions but sometimes we come back to the learner and say oh we just want to check you understood this part of the course um, or perhaps you know we want to see that you're making a significant action and perhaps the action they've pledged isn't quite significant when compared to you know their job role or something mm -hmm. um, so we want to make sure people are taking the training and doing the best they possibly can with it um, and then we will check those through process the certificates and send out their certificates and um, so it's kind of up to the trainer to organize it on the ground and we sort of work as yeah the facilitating organizational body that sits behind it and you know links organizations together in the same sector and you know provides examples of best practice and you know gets the gets the community going gets the conversation going so yeah cool i mean it makes a lot of sense that because if you were just if you were an organization and you were responsible for getting the getting word out to everyone it would just there'd be a lot of pressure on the clp to do that wouldn't they so it's a smart smart move to kind of outsource that learning stuff to uh yeah because and then you'll reach a wider variety of 
of people working you in organizations and, and businesses that way too yeah of course of course and we do we have kind of like recently adopted uh, another approach which is the the toolkit approach which is essentially we do the legwork on designing these kind of off-the-shelf materials for certain public sector groups um, and we kind of put patches in them so they're blue slides um, where those organisations can insert their own information so it makes sense to them because obviously if you're delivering in Manchester having London borough policy climate policy is not going to be of much use um, so we kind of do the legwork on writing that that side of things um, and then we pilot it and test it out make sure it runs okay and then we do public launches of them so they're free materials that anyone can access um, and that way it kind of what we're finding it is doing is taking the legwork and the funding out of organizations having to put the time in to develop their own course we do that for you um, and then you can use it and then spread the word that way and deliver it internally so that's kind of another approach which as we're growing as a project has seemed to be yeah working well to access the areas where we were struggling to access before cool um so can we give like our listeners a bit of a flavor of what what they could expect if they were to be on the, a course for the day i appreciate it might change a little bit depending on who's organized it and what the there might be certain angles that people take or are a bit more interesting but is there a is there a set kind of uh, structure for how the, the course should run over the course of a day or yeah so courses are very flexible in the way that they are ran but there is definitely some content which needs to be in there so they're the things which we have on our side which is our carbon literacy standard which we need to see in a course how you deliver these things is completely up to you and right. it should make sense to your learners so you know a group of financial directors is going to be totally different to a group of primary school children the, the approach is going to be worlds ends apart so the sort of things which we need to see in in carbon literacy training um so we need to see the science of climate change so what's caused climate change how is climate changing um and, and how's that going to impact us as well because it's all good and well saying what's happening but actually how are we going to feel those impacts also you know how are other people in the world going to feel those impacts because mm. i think here in the uk you know we do feel it but actually there are areas of the world which are going to feel it a lot more yeah. um so we look at that we look at kind of the equity and sort of vulnerability side of things so how you know we might be causing um, producing a lot of emissions and causing a lot of this stuff but actually there's individuals in the world who aren't I don't have massively high emissions but are going to feel the impacts of climate change a lot more okay. um so we talk about that um we talk about try and get trainers to talk about kind of like the role of their organization within that and how they can have an impact um, and how they can make a difference mm -hmm. um we talk about the benefits of making changes in order to reduce emissions um and how you know there's so many other reasons why we should be doing this rather than just emission based yeah it's like um, a, yeah a better world awaits doesn't it as i said earlier on in there it's, it's always a tricky when i was doing my little course stuff and workshops it's tricky balancing that end of the world stuff with the hey by the way it's gonna everything's gonna be brilliant you know 20 years from now so uh but yeah it's it is worth pointing out how yeah we've made yeah. some weird decisions over the last 50, 100 years, haven't we, that have not benefited us physically and mentally in, in terms of how our communities are? Mm, so we 
what we call that, what you've just described is this kind of like roller coaster of training. So what kind of it, it's targeted and it's a purposeful thing. And you probably didn't realize that either when you were sat there thinking, oh, my God, this is awful. I can't believe this is happening. That's part of the process because you do all the science, you do all the horrific stuff. You know, you tell people how destructive it's going to be and all these problems it's going to cause. Then you check in with everyone and you say, that's really bad. It isn't awful. Isn't this awful? how can we make this better and then you take the roller coaster back up again and you kind of turn that you turn it into empowerment so that you're putting it in the hands of people to say this is really bad but there's something which you can do about it and that is part of the process as well um so you know that's when you move on to the next part of the training where you look at where your carbon footprint comes from what is your carbon emissions what does this even mean like how how can you reduce it at home? What can you do around the house with your friends, with your family and your daily life? Um, what your workplace can do as a team? Is there certain things which you're doing, which your organization does, which are really carbon intensive, which you could work on reducing, um, you know, on a larger scale? There's, you know, this whole array of small impact actions and big impact actions. And it's about addressing all of those and looking at which are really accessible and which are really difficult to get to, but also which makes sense to do because they're accessible and have a high impact and which ones are kind of like, we think are all really good things to do because everyone's doing them, but actually how much impact do they actually have? Yeah. Um, so the training will look at that. Um, it will look at kind of examples of where organizations are doing this and how it can be done. So we're not just kind of left in the dark as to these are all great ideas, but does it actually work on the ground? Um, so like case study style things. And then you move on to the action planning section, which is where you make your pledges, which um, comes back to us. And then we talk about um, how you can communicate this to other people as well. So how to actually talk about this stuff to friends, family, work colleagues, and what the best approach is. That's um, tricky, isn't it, Anne? Because I, I mean, I feel like I have two different sides to me. Um, and like there's, there's, there's Twitter Ed, who's like properly always talking about cycling and climate change and like end of the world stuff. And then there's Facebook Ed, which is like, <laughs> Twitter me is like just speaking with people I've, I, I know, but I've never met in real life generally. Whereas Facebook me is friends and family. And I don't on Facebook, I never talk about real or well, very rarely talk about climate change mm. or, or cycling even because other people know that I ride a bike a lot. Um, it's hard to know how to approach friends and family and talk about this stuff. I don't know if you've got any tips. <laughs> um, I'm exactly the same. You know, I have, I did, this is what I do for work every day. And when it comes to my parents, I just suck it. I get so emotional and I get really heated and we get in these fiery arguments and I'm just like, why can't I take all the skills I have from work and deliver them into my parents' house when I go home? But it just, you know, it's difficult and it's emotional and it does evoke sensitivities in us all. And, you know, that, that should be addressed in this process as well. And it is addressed in the process, like we were talking about earlier with the whole roller coaster thing. Mm. And it's, it's not an easy realization to have. And, and we don't like being told that what we're doing has, has got really awful environmental impacts. It's not nice. It's not nice to hear that, you know, there's, there's certain things which we should change because, you know, it's got awful impacts, but yeah, there's, um... I guess, yeah, just, um, 
appealing to people's values is probably if I'm going to really shorten that whole section of the training would be you know my my go-to is try and think about all those people you've got on your Facebook and try and appeal to your friends and family's values and what is important to them because you know otherwise I, I've learned that lesson from being really passionate about it and going in really passionately and calling friends and telling them how awful it is and ramming it down people's throats about how they need to stop doing this and stop doing that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. People get, you know, they don't want to listen to that. You don't want to hear that. It's much better to approach it with ease and think about what that other person you're talking to cares about in that story and and use that as an approach rather than just overwhelming them. My uh, sister, I don't know if she'll be listening to this or not, but she, they bought a new family car quite recently and it's a, an SUV. So it's like like the type of car that I hate like the most. <laughs> so, uh, and, but I, you know, I, wouldn't have, I didn't say anything to her and I haven't still until she's listened to this maybe. But I had spoken to her about it, to my wife about it and my kids actually <laughs> about uh, my sister's got this new SUV. Uh, and like the first thing my little nine-year-old said to her, when we knocked on a door once a few months ago to just knock and say hello was your car sucks <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's brilliant yeah. <laughs> just get the kids to do the dirty work for you. <laughs> <laughs> but i could tell i could tell she was quite upset about it actually and uh there's a, there's a certain way of, of discussing things with people isn't there and uh yeah telling people that their car sucks the brand new car that they're really proud of you know that they've worked so hard for uh, yeah isn't, isn't the way to do it I don't think no <laughs> oh man it's crazy so we'll talk, talk a little bit about your role then so you're you've got the project officer title which doesn't explain too much maybe about what you do I'm sure it's you've got loads going on but how did you get involved um with the CLP then what's what's your story so I think our, our project you know there's quite a few project officers and I think we've kept as very flexible names so that we can do a bit of everything rather than just be stuck in one area which is kind of kind of what I do but um so I got interested I first got into the project um I studied in Manchester at Manchester Metropolitan University um I studied environmental management and sustainability so was already kind of quite eco aware and interested in the environment um and throughout my studies I you know in the first I was a massive geek at uni I was always the one talking and asking questions at the end and staying behind to chat about stuff just because I just had such an interest in it um and you know I'd sit in lectures and just be hot like really horrified by what I was learning knowing that it was the right thing to be doing but just struggling emotionally with with all the stuff that I was learning you know and it wasn't just climate stuff it was everything to do with environment um and I had a chat with one of my lecturers at the end and I was like how do you do this how do you deliver this stuff day in day out like it's so depressing um and she was like you know you just have to be aware of where you can make an impact and she was like for me this is where I can make an impact because I'm educating you on how bad it is and that that is kind of where where got the idea from really um so the university that I was at, they run a scheme called the Carbon Literacy for Students scheme. And essentially it is a training platform um, which gets students to essentially become trainers and put students through the processes of becoming trainers. So they also deliver carbon literacy training. So I did this uh, scheme, I became a trainer, I then started delivering carbon literacy training as a trainer within the university. So I was teaching other students. 
which was great. Like, you know, I was getting paid to do it. I'd have a paid afternoon of interacting with other students, teaching them about what I was really passionate about. Um, so, you know, that was a great thing to be doing as a student. Yeah. Um, and for like confidence building as well. It was also, you know, just a really good scheme. And I would always speak really highly of that scheme. So I did that, was learning a bit more about the projects. Um, and was just like, wow, the, what these guys do is amazing. I love it. Like, it's it's great. Started to learn about, you know, not just what was happening within the university, but also external organisations and stuff. And then kind of pushed my way into the volunteering scheme with them. Um because I was really keen to just do some any kind of work for them and I had some time because I was a student so um, I worked with them for a volunteer uh, as a volunteer for about a year and then eventually took up a kind of part-time freelance pay position a couple of days a week um, and since then that was in May um, so I'd had quite a fair amount of experience working alongside the project but not actually within it um, and then yeah moved into slowly just upped the days and, the, and now I kind of bounce in between a part-time and a full-time role depending on other bits and bobs but that's kind of how I how I came into it really and what I do now is a mixture of um, supporting with online delivery as we've switched over to everything being from face-to-face -face classroom learning to online um, but I also work a lot on kind of the design and mentoring of materials and and the stuff that we produce internally as toolkits um, and kind of yeah, everything that goes with that, which is, you know, slide decks, trainer manuals, copyright manuals, that's not the most exciting bit, but also, you know, creating really engaging activities for people to do to teach them about this kind of stuff, which I think is probably one of my favourite parts of the job is, you know, this is the information or this is the latest climate report. Now you need to make it really engaging <laughs> and get people involved in it that would never usually be involved in it. And it's kind of, you know, a really challenging process of being like, hey, here's the science. How do we make this accessible? How do we make this make sense to the everyday person on the street? How do we make this interesting for people? And I suppose it's like bridging that gap between what's happening in the leadership and in the policy and what's happening on the ground with communities. So, you know, it's a it's a great place to be in. I, I do love my job, <laughs> which is yeah. good. That's brilliant. And that's the goal, isn't it? I guess it's a constantly shifting like target, isn't it? Climate change as well. Even I'm quite... I, I, um, fascinated like the carbon cost of everything and that's something that we learned on the course that we did in terms of that was one of the best things we did in the day was everyone gathered around a massive table and there's a load of objects on the table and we had to order them in terms of um, carbon uh, footprint per object so like a little fluffy dog to represent a pet and actually that came out really high like a pet dog people were like dismayed how high the carbon cost of a, a I bet that stabbed a few hearts as well because you don't want to be yeah. here and like, a pet dog is not good for the environment yeah I mean, I've, yeah I had to I've just said before I've shifted a couple of guinea pigs out of uh, out of the dining room I'm recording in I think I'm all right with guinea pigs for now at least um, <laughs> yeah things like the carbon cost of an email and a phone call all sorts of things everything really um but since I've learned since then that the carbon cost of things is changing all the time isn't it as well as policy and the science maybe not so much but we are learning more all the time obviously about what, what rate of change we're seeing on planet earth so how much work do you have to do to keep to keep the documents kind of um, relevant and on, on on target in terms of science 
yeah as as we kind of develop more and more materials we're realizing that this is an area which we probably need to nail some kind of tech to get them all updated at once because you know it is constantly changing um there's always regular updates coming through and new reports and we kind of we base a lot of our materials off you know the most reviewed reports from you know the best organizations that have you know the the best um what's the word the best reviews from scientists etc so <clears throat> it is definitely regular updating um i would say every day i read something which i could which i think that could go in a course that would fit perfectly in that course um but i think the process of if we just consistently did that we'd never be able to move on to new projects and moving into new areas and developing new stuff so you know there's this balance between being really involved in a project and in a course and the writing of it collating all the best materials of the time stating when it was written of course as well so someone reading it you know a year down the line doesn't go well that's not right and that's not right and that's changed you know we have to say this is created in december 2020 so this is the latest stats from that information um but you know we do also put links to where we find stuff from and if there is uh, an area so for example um the climate change policy area is always changing we will you know put a note on the materials to say it's likely this might have changed since the date of this writing please check that latest legislation to make sure that what you've got here is the most up-to-date um but yeah it's definitely finding a balance between making sure materials are up-to-date and of high quality but also you know we've got a limited capacity as a small charity so you have to kind of you know find a balance in between the two but keeping it as up-to-date as possible without that being you know all of our full-time jobs all the time I would say is where where we meet in the middle with it yeah um so we'll talk a bit about like the pandemic now because before we did our our courses online for what, the community kind of carbon literacy stuff we had it all planned out to do it in person we had community halls and cafes all, all booked and ready to go and we started the event registration process uh, and then like planet earth decided to shut down um, and we switched to online to, to zoom actually uh, relatively quickly and we found it actually better in some ways we missed the interaction of you know having a, a room full of people big time but we've actually managed to probably reach more people because um, we could deliver more courses uh, rather than just, we were gonna do four or five in-person courses and the, the cost of hiring a room, for example, is quite, can be quite high and feeding people and all that stuff. So we, we probably reached two or three times more people um, through little online um, classes than otherwise. How, how have your, um, your learners been and teachers been finding the last year or so? Have, have they all kind of embraced Zoom and Teams or have some kind of fallen by the wayside? There's definitely been uh, mixed reviews on how to approach this situation. I think, you know, at the start of the pandemic, you know, internally, we had a massive panic and we were like, you know, our whole charity, our whole organisation is based on people getting together as a group and learning about climate change and spending the whole day together. How are we possibly going to replicate that on, on in an online setting? You know, we, we were really worried. Um, but as you said, organisations reach a lot more people on, online. And, you know, we probably wouldn't be having this podcast right now if it wasn't online. No. So I think, you know, we, we did figure out ways to, you know, support trainers in getting their materials online, making that conversion. Um, so that was kind of, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of the work that we did was 
helping trainers to take their original courses and make that conversion and suggesting the best platforms and the best way to do it in order to make it engaging as engaging as it would be in, in a classroom but also accessible you don't want to overwhelm people with all this tech that they need to perform you need to keep it simple and engaging which are two very opposing things to be able to do in a training session um, so you know we did a couple of workshops on distance delivery and and you know what tools we had tried out and we found really useful so the first few months of the pandemic was kind of us just messing around with technology with each other as a team to figure out the best stuff but you know we did come across some really good tools so like padlets and jam boards which are interactive yeah. games that you can play online um we also say really encourage trainers to use breakout rooms because when you're training in a classroom you split people off into smaller groups to have discussions but there might be multiple discussions going on around one table between you know five six people whereas on a zoom call only one person can talk at the same time and we also found that there was less building on discussions so one person would say something one another person would say something else whereas in face to face you get one person say something someone else builds on that someone else builds on that the ideas form a bit more so you know we have found that trainers have had to you know alter their approach a little bit and make sure that everyone feels comfortable in their online setting because you know we're all at home the postman could turn up like the guinea pig starts squeaking like that's okay that's fine and address that as a trainer say yeah oh god so sorry like this is going on that's going on the cat won't leave me alone like it's you know creating as much as you would need to create that safe space in a classroom when teaching about climate change you have to do the same online and it is a bit more difficult as well um but hopefully you know we've given trainers the support to be able to you know deliver these things and you know this is something that we are here to help with and we do understand it's not easy you know and especially trainers who are just like no way don't don't know how to use technology we don't know we don't know um so you know we've tried to kind of we're not tech experts either but we've tried to you know give people the knowledge which we have learned from it i guess um yeah it's um i mean i remember i was on a, a course uh six months well no, it was early on ish in the pandemic and I was on Zoom and I was sent into a breakout room and I didn't even know that existed. You know, I'm quite a techie guy. I, I build websites a lot of the time. Um, and I was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is cool. And that was just before we started to plan out our um, our courses that we were running uh, on Whirl. Um, so, yeah, we use breakout rooms in Zoom. You can do you can run polls when, within the app as well to make it quite interactive. And obviously you can share screens and people can annotate and stuff like that. So, um yeah, there's loads of tools, you know, to keep it interesting because that's one of the main features of carbon literacy training is that it's interesting and that it's engaging and it's not just someone stood up in front of you talking for a whole day. You would never get, you know, we'd never get the actions of the progress that we have as a result of the training if that was what the training was because it's just not engaging, like it's really not. So, you know, it is, it is really important and, and using those features. What we tend to say is, you know, pick one or two features that you really like and that really um, support, you know, we'd say always use breakout rooms really, but, you know, pick one or two extras that really make sense for your group um, and kind of focus on them and, and, and use them. Yeah, indeed. So we'll, we'll start to kind of wrap things up now because uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but what's what's the future for, for the CLP then? Are you kind of more of the same? You got big growth plans or what's happening? I suppose it's just taken taken every training as it comes really. I mean, you know, there's so many exciting plans in the pipework for 
different organizations getting involved and you know rolling out toolkits and how many people we can access with toolkits um obviously we've got the online learning which you know can be accessed by anyone in the world recently had you know learners uh, course get passed through um in washington and we've had learners from australia join courses as well so i suppose it's just keep expanding you know the team's getting bigger and bigger you know we've since you know we've all started working from home the teams had like four extra staff members and you know we're just growing so the more kind of cultural shift into a lower carbon future we see I think there'll be more demand for our services and you know hopefully we can just educate more and more people on how they can make a difference I suppose. Yeah I mean, I've, I've seen it even since I've done the course um, like the rural council um, my local authority um, the councillor in charge of kind of environment and stuff she's kind of she's demanded that all councillors go through carbon literacy training of some sort and all senior officers as well so that you know every decision that's being made and which of which there are hundreds and hundreds you know councils make you know every day probably there has to have that element of um, asking a question about uh, the carbon cost of, of the decisions we're making so I feel like we're at a bit of a tipping point um, for 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 carbon literacy and for yeah kind of action on, on climate change I hope eh? yeah definitely and I guess you know it's about training communities on the ground and and the everyday person but also training those individuals in leadership positions and hopefully they can work in work towards the center in order to be able to make that change happen because you know you need everyone to ex you can't just train the leaders and they put in policies which you know communities don't understand why they're doing that and you can't just train communities and then the leadership policies aren't changing you've got to go both ends in and, and work into the center which is kind of you know what we say is the best form of action so it's just hopefully going to grow and grow i hope so have you got any cool case studies you want to mention in particular i should have said um that where you think something's really clicked with a certain organization or has reached a, a really good group of people we are creating materials for fire services and really interesting one that kind of was brought to light when I, as I started working with them is actually fire service, fire and rescue services are going to see the impact of climate change so heavily on their work, you know, thinking wow. about flooding, you know, it's not just fires that fire and rescue services fight, it's so many other things as well. And I suppose, you know, just that developing materials and educating people on it whose job roles are going to be so directly impacted by by the changes that are already taking place mm -hmm. you know and using you know, like case studies of events that have happened really drill into these learners because they're like yeah we were there we were fighting that um you know like the bushfires in australia that kind of thing and you know that those devastating effects i suppose just like training the people that are going to be on the front line of dealing with those things mm -hmm. um which I suppose was just a huge learning curve and also kind of an area where there's a lot there's you know it's important to to do it's fascinating i've been i've been thinking recently about how policing might change in the climate emergency i mean we kind of i feel like we're getting a bit of a taste of it at the moment in, in i see covid as a bit of a that firing gun on the climate emergency proper i see it as, it's it's a, it's a natural occurrence a virus like this and it's i see it a little bit related to the environmental emergency we face uh, and police at the moment are they've kind of got a weird crime has changed hasn't it because they're knocking on doors like stopping parties all over towns and cities whereas other forms of crime have dropped 
massively, you know. Um, so how, how policing and like you say, with the, the fire service uh, will change in the coming years is, uh, I don't know off the top of my head how it will change. I just know that strange things will happen and that, that we need to be ready for, uh, for some weird side effects. Yeah, for sure. And it's about creating, you know, that adaptation to be able to enable these services that we rely on so heavily to be able to adapt to the situation, which is consistently changing. Um, and I suppose being able to support that change into that adaptation is is an amazing thing to be to be involved in. So, yeah, there's there's going to be huge changes to come. So fingers crossed, the more people that we get, you know, educated and carbon literate, the better. Definitely. So, um, yeah, do you want to give people a, an idea of how they can get in touch and get involved either through taking part in a course themselves or maybe even thinking about running a course on, on your behalf? How, what's the best way to, uh, to get in touch? Um, so you can always access us via email, um, which is info at carbonliteracy.com. Um, we're also, you know, we've got our Instagram, our Facebook and our Twitter, um, which... I don't actually know the exact names of each one, but I'm sure you can put the tags in in the bio for this podcast. I'm assuming that's it'll all be down there in the description. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, we also work alongside Patagonia Action Works platform, which essentially um, is a platform which kind of promotes environmental organizations and what's happening in the local area. Um, so you can always find open courses on there. Sometimes they're free courses, sometimes they're paid courses, depending on, you know, whether you're a community member, whether you work for an organisation. So you can always find our courses on there. Um, our website, we've got our blog, which you can always have a look at. Um, and our newsletter is a really good way to keep up to date on, on the bits and bobs that we're doing as well. Um, all of which I'm sure you can link in the bio. Count on me. Yeah, I'll make sure it happens. Nice one. Um, we'll we'll summarise and... and, and, and finish things off now but I appreciate your time but what's going on for you in the next week or two the uh, the CLP busy as ever as always I feel like every week gets busier but you know all good things um so we've got a pioneers event so we get in touch with all of our trainers currently running training check in on them make sure everything's going smoothly um update them on any major changes that's happened our end we kind of review any best practice things that have been going on so we've got a little section on online learning and supporting organizations as that um i'll be in touch with a few different organizations about their toolkit approaches and creating some materials um, in order to be used kind of creatively mapping out bits and bobs about latest science so you know every day is different a few emails here and there and a couple of team meetings probably added in the mix quite a lot of cups of tea um and a few walks in the park i reckon of course yeah well hopefully yeah i, I really hope we'll be able to get back to or you will be able to get back to delivering the courses because i really uh, enjoyed it last year and uh, i've enjoyed chatting to you i really appreciate it louise thanks for your time yeah thank you so much for having me i've really enjoyed it it's definitely been a good first podcast experience that's for sure you're an actual all right thanks very much i'll link to everything in the description and i'll, I'll catch up with you soon see you later lovely chat soon thanks again to louise really appreciate your time great to hear how you're getting on there with the carbon literacy project do head over to the website carbonliteracy.com for lots more information i will put all the links as promised down below in the description uh, more coming soon uh, we've got some exciting episodes lined up so yeah 
Uh, rethinknow.uk is the website and we are on all the usual um, podcast apps, Spotify, Google, Apple and a few more besides as well. So yeah, do subscribe if you can. Leave us a review. We really appreciate it. And if you do want to think, come on the show or you think there's someone that might be worth interviewing, uh, drop us a line via email at the website and we'll see what we can do. All right, guys, take care.